Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. We're delighted to have you listening in. And we are very excited about the Institute of Public Theology now being open for applications. You can go to instituteofpublictheology.org and you have all sorts of information there about the Institute. We will be starting classes in the fall. Tom, you will be teaching a seminar, a one week long seminar on the pastor in the public square in That's conjunction right. with Dr. Tom Nettles, who's the week before you, I think. That's right. And uh, he's teaching on church history. Yes. That's right. He'll be teaching his class from August 23rd through the 27th. And it's kind of church history part one, uh, looking at how the church of Christ uh, thrived, not just survived, but thrived in the midst of opposition in those early centuries up to the reformation. And then I'll be doing the pastor in the public square with pastoral theology course, thinking through what God has called us to be in do as pastors, but particularly in light of the uh, shifting foundations in our culture and how we are to stand and how we're to equip God's people to stand in their various responsibilities. So that's going to follow right after Tom's course. So my course will be the 30th of August through the 3rd of September, but right smack dab in the middle on the 28th, that Saturday, we're going to have a convocation for the Institute of Public Theology and Dr. Everett Piper will be our keynote speaker. And uh, what a, what a, a, joy it is to have him with us. That's going to be a wonderful time. If you're not familiar with Dr. Piper, I encourage you to uh, go back a couple of episodes ago here on the Sword and Trial. We interviewed him. He was fresh off of tending his horses and uh, gave us a great interview. He's a former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, writes a weekly column for the Washington Times, and his last column was fire. So if you're not, not following Dr. Piper, get on social media. You can follow him. We follow him uh, at Founders and be glad to connect you with him. To our good old Southern Baptist folk who listen in, we are going to be at the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, we're going to have a booth there. It's coming up in June in Nashville, and uh, we hope to do some kind of event. Uh, we don't have any solid plans yet, but if they do solidify, we're going to let you know as soon as possible. Certainly, uh, it would be great if we could. There's so much that needs to be done in the uh, Southern Baptist world right now. Yeah, without a doubt. So the convention's the 15th and 16th of June in Nashville. It's going to be now at the Music City Center. Uh, city center because they moved the venue and that's created some challenges for us but uh, we are hopeful that we'll be able to put something together on that Monday before which would be June 14th so watch the website follow founders on social media once we get things set if we can then we will announce it but uh, we already have a pretty good idea what we want to do if we can find the space so uh, if you think of it pray for us that God will open those doors for us today we want to get into the uh, verdict that was handed down uh um, upon doc, or um, upon police officer Derek Chauvin uh, in Minneapolis. So, uh, you know, many of our listeners, I'm sure, are aware uh, last week it was that this decision was handed down in Minneapolis. I've talked to so many people mm-hmm. in the wake of that who are trying to get their minds around it, you know, yeah. oh, you're, who, who didn't remember what happened last year uh, with uh, the tragic death of George Floyd and uh, Derek Chauvin kneeling on his neck or back. Um, and then George Floyd dying and now Minneapolis has held court and, uh, doctor, I keep calling him doctor, it's Derek Chauvin has been convicted on three counts. I believe it's second degree murder and then a third degree murder and then a manslaughter charge, but all three counts, um, was guilty. 
And people are saying, how are we to think about this? You know, uh, was justice served? Was it not? Uh, you know, in an ideal sense, perfect justice is never served. Is this the right kind of thing? So really, it probably wise for us to start by saying what happened, just charting the territory for those who are not aware. And then how are we to be thinking biblically and Christianly about what has occurred? So yeah. just the basics of the, the decision that was handed down and the uh, where's the process out at now and how much has been paid out to George Floyd's family from the city? Yeah, well, I don't I mean, you know more about the details of the payout than I do. And uh, certainly everyone who has paid attention knows at least some of the details because it was recorded on a uh, smartphone and that recording has played significantly into the whole jury trial and the verdict as well and uh, i have not watched the recording the whole thing i've just seen snippets of it and i've read reports about it but it displays how uh, officer chauvin kept his knee on george floyd's neck until his life was taken from him and one of the testimonies from i think it was a uh, i don't know if it's autopsy doctor the one who did the autopsy, but one of the medical uh, officials that gave a testimony says, stopped it and said, here's the, here's the point at which his life left his body. I mean, it's a very dramatic moment in that trial. And so it's obvious that he died while the police officer had his knee on his neck. I mean, those, that's irrefutable. But what all went into why his knee was on his neck, that's, you know, those things have been debated a little bit. And there was body cam footage from the officers or four officers on the scene that demonstrate that they had him in the car. He got out of the car. They were trying to keep him controlled. They pleaded with him to stay, you know, uh, in the car. He wouldn't do it. So there's a lot of things that went on in the context that, that, that enlarge what was going on in the minds of those that were around and perhaps even in the minds of uh, George Floyd and the officers that were trying to subdue him. But the jury determined that he was guilty, not only of manslaughter, but of second degree, third degree murder. And now I guess the uh, penalty phase of the trial is waiting and there's already indications that this is going to be appealed. And so we'll probably be dealing with this for at least the next year or two. Yeah. Well, a few things we want to say up front is number one, you know, we're not the jury for this case and we're not the judges involved in this case. I did not watch all of the footage of the case, though I believe it is available online. So it's very limited knowledge. And that's wise for all Christians to consider. You say, wherever I'm standing in the nation, when whatever I'm watching on, you know, be it Facebook, YouTube, or some yeah. kind of news channel, I'm only seeing um, parts of the whole. I'm not seeing the whole thing. And I'm not even having a first row seat. I'm not an eyewitness to what happened. Nevertheless, we have members in this congregation that try to process mm-hmm. this moment. And there are Christians all over the place that sure. are saying, could do, are, are there some principles involved that I can think through how I should be approaching this um, mentally, how I should be approaching it emotionally. As we get started, there's a uh, one of the key things. Uh, we're biblical people, and I want to consider uh, what God's Word has to say about this. Genesis 9 is a very important text um, regarding the issue of murder. Uh, Genesis 9, 1, we have uh, God blessing Noah and his sons, and there is a restatement of the cultural mandate there. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. And he goes on there. 
And then in verse 6, um, well, let me back up to verse 5. Verse 5 of Genesis 9 says, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Then verse 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And then he restates in verse seven, and you be fruitful, multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So that text shows why there would be an execution of a murderer, which is huge for Christians to just lay a foundation and say, is it appropriate for one who, who genuinely murdered, intended to murder? And you have multiple witnesses say you the set up is just plain. It's clear. I mean, the person can admit, I, I did intend to murder this person. Um, should there be an execution of that person? My personal position is yes. Based on Genesis 9 and verse 6 here, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. There are some who would approach this text and say, well, this is just a, this is just a statement from God about a reality that is. This is how the world will go. Um, others would say, no, God is actually saying, this is what I, I want to see done in the world. And I'm of that position that that is the case when you have intention to murder. It'd also be important to note that this is not a part of the Mosaic statute. This is not a part of the Mosaic civil code given to Israel. This is a creational principle. It's in Genesis 9 before we have Moses. Uh, this is regarding Noah right in the wake of the flood. So that's, that's at least one point that is important to think about murder, what it is and a, a penalty for that, at least how I see that. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. I'm with you on uh, the death penalty, though I want very uh, clear guidelines set up because it can be abused, and any time it would be abused is a horrific thing. But to the, to the earlier point, Proverbs 18, 13, if one gives an answer before he hears it, it is to his folly and shame. Mm -hmm. And so who among us that didn't sit in the jury box can say, oh, yeah, we've heard it. You know, we know. We know uh, that's the very danger that Christians have to guard against because it's that kind of Gnosticism that in large part has gotten us into the mess we're in right now. It's a, a, we know, we know what was in his mind. We know what was going on in that encounter. Well, uh, if you're not in the jury box and paying attention to all the evidence that is submitted by the attorneys, both prosecutor and defense, then you're not in a position to know what you think you know. And it is a horrible thing for anyone to just simply buy into a narrative, regardless of which narrative it is. Oh, uh, we know that this is going to go against the cop, you know, and he's going he's to be thrown under the jail for the sake of whatever. Or we know this is going to go against uh, the man who lost his life because we know that's just the way the police operate. Well, if that's your reasoning, then I would encourage you, if you are a Christian, to go back to the Bible and repent and say, no, we, we need to take the Word of God seriously and recognize that it's folly, it's, it's foolishness in God's eyes to make a judgment before we hear the case. And we haven't heard all the case. Now, we do hear some things. I mean, you can't live in this world without hearing uh, much from uh, this particular trial and conviction. But again, Again, we live in a day when there are people who are trying to manipulate our thinking. I mean, that's just going on. And so you, you are being delivered by those who want to show you things that support their version, their narrative. And be very wide, be shrewd. We just have to be careful, just like watching commercials. I mean, commercials are trying to sell you something. And don't think that the people who are presenting you from various news sources, their accounts of what's going on, our, our news uh, industry today is so corrupt and unreliable that if you're just taking what you get from Fox or CNN or any one source, 
uh, you're in danger of being set up. So be careful with that. But then, yeah, what does the Bible say? The distinctions between murder and manslaughter. It does say some things about that, and we ought to take that to heart, too. Yeah, and laying that foundation, before we go to manslaughter, laying the foundation for murder and saying, yes, if someone does have intent to murder and does murder, uh, that it would be an execution is a sobering thing. Mm. And as you just indicated, uh, especially if you're not in the jury box, but even if you are in the jury box, you know, intent, uh, we, we kind of have this way, we have a problem. You, I've noticed this in my own life, noticed it in many others, like, well, we know what somebody intended mm. to do. I know what you meant, yeah. right? When we really don't know what they right. meant. Now, you can indeed get enough evidence where you know what somebody you can meant. deduce from yeah so the point is the point is not that we never know that we can never kind of get to intent there can be enough evidence stacked up that we go yes um but we can easily jump the gun i know why you didn't i know why you didn't wave to me on sunday when we, when i passed you you know i know why you said this particular thing we jump to people's motives right. and assign motives that don't exist um, quickly now, situational specifics, there might be people that are more hesitant or too aggressive, but we at least have to acknowledge that when you're talking about murder, you're talking about intent. Mm. And if you step back from that, just a few facts that would kind of set a framework for um, American life. Uh, I looked this up recently uh, online. Again, these are very much ballpark numbers. You can have to confirm them yourself, but just a quick survey online. We've got 16,000 to 17,000 homicides in the United States in 2019, okay, 16,000 to 17,000 homicides. Mm -hmm. That's about nearly, not quite, but nearly 50 murders a day, which mm -hmm. is remarkable. And you think, mm -hmm. okay, we're a big country, yeah. but that's a lot of murder, right? Um, when it comes to executions, I uh, found this data that on one of the sites that kind of mark executions. Again, I don't know, you're going to have to verify this and double check, but I think it's in the ballpark, 22 executions in 2019. So we've got, you know, around, you could imagine around 50 murders a day and around mm -hmm. 22 executions. There's certainly a, a massive lopsidedness if you have 16,000 homicides in a year. Mm -hmm. It's a remarkably high number compared to how many executions are happening. Again, he who hears his case first and multiple witnesses, yeah. and there are going to be a number of gray cases right. where we say we can't prove murder. Well, if you can't prove murder, then what is what do you do in a case where somebody is dead and there at least another person was involved that's still alive and that seemed that was involved in altercation, whatever it might be. The Bible has a category for that kind of thing, and it's called a manslaughter or a manslayer. Here's one example. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 41 says, Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan, that the manslayer might flee there. Anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally without being at enmity with him in the past, he may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Now, there's a lot involved in these cities of refuge, but the, the main point I want to make from citing this text, there's a number of other passages as well. Exodus 21, 12 says the same thing. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hands, then I will appoint for you a place to which he might flee. But if a man willfully attacks another man to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. There's other passages, but you have this manslayer category for an altercation uh, of some mm -hmm. sort, an unintentional killing, where, whether that would be um, with a very small amount of responsibility. I went outside and threw a rock over mm -hmm. a tree and it hit a man and he's dead. Mm -hmm. You know, well, should you have thrown the rock? No, okay. But 
and then you have more negligence. Like I went and, you know, set a fire and I didn't intend to kill anybody, but the fire, you know, mm-hmm. but you have levels within manslayer, uh, but you don't see in scripture this um, execution of the manslayer. So you have intent involved with murder cases and you have a manslayer where somebody is dead, but intent wasn't there. That's at least a foundation yeah. for how to think. And as I understand it, uh, the officer was found guilty of causing the death of a human being without intent, uh, which is the second degree murder charge. He was found guilty of unintentionally causing a death by committing an act that is imminently dangerous to the person who died. That's third degree murder. And then the manslaughter charge that you just mentioned, he was found guilty of creating an unreasonable risk by consciously taking the chance of causing death or great bodily harm to someone else. And it's uh, a little difficult for me. Again, I've not read a lot about this, but you know, all three of those, I mean, how do you have all three of those? It seems like the manslaughter charge would, would uh, be removed if you're guilty of second or third degree murder. But nevertheless, we found guilty in all three of them. And uh, there's been some debate by legal scholars about which of these or if all three they think will stick. Uh, one guy that I uh, listened to said that he thinks that on appeal that at least one of these uh, might be overruled. So we don't know. The process will follow. This is another opportunity for us to think through the, the world in which we live. So often, I mean, th- this is the whole critical social justice movement with these folks that are up in arms and in the streets and demanding, you know, that there's got to be justice. When do we want it right now? No justice, no peace. Well, if you haven't read Thomas Sowell's book, Cosmic Cosmic Justice, I would highly recommend that. Uh, There is no perfect justice in this world. It just doesn't exist because we are in a fallen world. And so sinners are the ones making decisions. Sinners are the ones doing the actions. And one day everything will be made right, but it's on that day and only on that day when we will have complete cosmic justice. And if you want it now and you demand it now, you're living in a utopian uh, fantasy and you're going to wind up doing a great deal of damage. We have a a process here in our nation. Uh, We require due process. We We require certain rights to be recognized and protected. And the officer was judged by a jury of his peers. He had a defense attorney, was given counsel. There was a prosecuting attorney. All of those interests were there in the courtroom and set forth. And so in one sense, the process worked. It worked. Now, was it perfect? Absolutely not. Is it ever perfect? No. I mean, sometimes they get it more right than others, but only eternity will determine when in exact ways uh, those things shake out. But what we ought to be, as citizens of this nation, what I would argue for is we ought to be contending to maintain the process because the process, though not perfect compared to utopia, a lot of things wrong with it compared to the way that you're dealt with in China. Give me the United States process and praise God that we still have a process that is more righteous than in many other nations of the world today where this type of thing would not even happen. The trial wouldn't happen the way that it did. We need to protect that because it serves the interests of all the citizens of this nation. And if there's an appeal that is allowed, then yes, have officer Chauvin take the appeal and, and do what he can with that and argue the case again. So, Praise God, we have a process that, though not perfect, is good in many ways, and we want to protect that. But with that, we always want to not just, you know, roll over and say, okay, well, you know, hey, the the judge made a decision, so that's it. Yeah, you have the, you have a process, and then you have 
people that are working that process. Without and so uh, when we look at the process, we say, well, well, uh, praise the Lord for the form of government we have. You know, they, there's there's so many good things about it. And um, and yet we know that um, the process itself won't work at all if the people are degenerate, if the people uh, don't fear God. Mm-hmm. And so what's happening is more and more people, um, the, the fear of God seems to be, you know, going less and less in our nation. What's going to happen is people corrupting the process, people abusing the process. And then we're going to have this problem because I could see, you know, I could see them saying up in James Coates situation, we'll, we'll trust the process, trust the process. You know, we, we, we have a process, we have a system, but then you have to be appealing to something um, greater than the process while not trying to destroy the process. There's those who just want to destroy it. Say, no, 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 it, it's, it's good, but we're going to need people that are able to um, consider God and to fear God as they go about it. You know, very practically with this case, we had, um, let's see, Minneapolis has paid a record $27 million to settle a lawsuit with George Floyd's family. That's one dimension of this. And I think that might have happened even before the verdict was handed down. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure. Um, So how are Christians to think about that? If you're living in a city and uh, a city official, uh, Chauvin was a police officer, so he's not just an individual that mm-hmm. would uh, need some form of restitution to the to the family, but you also have an actual city official, uh, part of the state there, that it, that has um, acted, this grant that he's acted in a negligent way, that mm-hmm. he's used excessive force, um, that he has been irresponsible, that kind of thing, and this has resulted. Is it right for, I mean, would you counsel a person in that situation to say, yes, there should be not only from the individual, but also from the state, some form of restitution for the damages done? Yeah, that's tough. I I think I would, you know, because uh, a police officer's responsibility is to serve and protect. I mean, that's kind of the general blanket that all uh, police officer officials seem to be flying under. And in this case, despite his intentions or best efforts, he didn't do that. And so if, you know, the facts of the case, if, if the facts of the case are, yes, he is guilty of murder. It's just a give that right now. Or are we go manslaughter or since we just laid that foundation, is he guilty of murder in this well, case just, intent or is he guilty let's just of, take, uh, let's take what the jury decided. You know, if, if the jury decided on principles of righteousness and yes, so he's guilty of murder first or second, third degree and manslaughter is the municipality responsible. Well, yes, he's a representative of the municipality. He's a representative of the people. Uh, how do you determine what is right in terms of a civil lawsuit and an amount to be paid? Mm. Well, that's subjective. I don't know any way around that being completely subjective. Uh, there are these actuary uh, guys, you know, that, that figure out how much your life is worth and insurance policies are based upon that. And we buy and sell insurance on that basis but that's a uh, that's a business transaction and there's just no way i mean how do you put a a number how do you put a dollar amount on a life and so 27 million why not 270 million why not 2 billion why not you know $2000 you know i mean all of that's subjective and we need to be humble and do our best to try to sort out what does this look like and certainly one thing that the actuaries do is a look at potential earning power and so if you're just looking at it from a standpoint of finances, that's one dimension. But a human life, we all know, is far 
more than just its earning power. Yeah, these decisions um, have to be made. And, uh, you know, this is exactly a place where we need wise Christians, God fearers to bring truth to bear, because mm. um, I agree with you that first that it would be appropriate for the government, the governmental entity to um, have some for, form of restitution paid to to Floyd's dependents um, primarily. And I think that's the way you would want to set it up. And you're trying to figure the problem is in a, in a restitution case where one man steals another man's wallet, you know, you can have, it's, it's more tangible. You have, you have more, um, more clarity on what a restitution might look like when it is the loss of life. Um, and as you mentioned, the two murder charges are re- they're without intent. And so you have this like biblical idea of it's like it's not, not really murder. It's like trumped up mm-hmm. manslaughter charges kind of thing. Um, but you have the loss of life. Well, you know, what goes into making those decisions? Something goes into making those decisions. Right. You mentioned there it's completely subjective. I think I know what you're talking about. You're not saying that it's that it that it ought to be like willy nilly whatever I want to do, but it's like the the principles involved in making such a decision are very difficult. And yeah, it's gonna are. it's gonna there's gonna be multiple principles involved in making such yeah. a decision, including yeah. the the um the earning power is one of probably multiple Right. Well yeah, my point is that I don't you can't write a, a law, you can't write a script saying, you know, when a guy dies at forty seven years old or a guy dies at thirty two years old or a guy dies who's a father who you know, whatever you can't write a book and say, here's the the exact amount that ought to be paid out. There's all kind of mm-hmm. factors and uh, at best what we want to do is try to be wise, try to be um, just and I, you know, in those situations too, we ought to have mercy. I mean, we just look at what the consequences are of a life life being lost, and all of that needs to be factored in. And you know, you don't, we don't have a book for that. We don't have a script saying, oh no, no, here's what the dollar amount is in every situation. Yeah, and it's when you think about Minneapolis, my understanding is again, I don't have all the information, but my understanding is that it is the citizens of Minneapolis, I'm assuming, that are paying that 27 million. And even to come to the conclusion that it would be appropriate that they pay something given their elected law force, uh, law enforcement agency was involved in something, again, apparently negligent, uh, to say that, yes, they should pay something is gives people clarity about how a, how mm-hmm. a city ought to operate. Okay, yes, I can see some kind of um, ownership that's being taken here, and then some kind of restitution, because there is a little girl, I believe he has a daughter, um, that is now without a father. Mm-hmm. And what's it going to look like for her in, in this case? So keeping that in mind and then trying to get at wisdom with these kind of decisions, uh, it's inevitable to look at the uh, rioting that occurred in Minneapolis and to know, okay, what role does that play in the uh, city officials, the city leadership, determining what kind of um, restitution payment to make to the Floyd family. Um, very practically, living in a fallen world is something we talk about. You have on, on the one hand, you have this um, ideal, a Pollyanna kind of thing where you say, I'm not going to take into account any of the stuff on the ground. I'm mm-hmm. just going to try to deduce um, 
clear principles, ideal principles, you might say, and then determine what that payment ought to be. Um, but then you have on the other spec end of the spectrum, this uh, Machiavellian pragmatism that says, I'm going to pay, I'm going to do whatever needs to be done, you know, right. like just by any means necessary, um, given what's going on. What role ought the um, status of the unrest in Minneapolis pl play when the city leadership's trying to determine what kind of restitution to do? Yeah, well, it shouldn't even exist. So let's just start with that. You know, I mean, this is, again, because of wickedness and sin. In, in the world, and uh, I read that that leading up to the trial, the city spent millions of dollars putting. I think it was three or four rows of fences, you know, around the courthouse, and all all of uh, the protection that they had to put in place because they were concerned of rioting during and after the verdict. So that that's there. And then let me just add this too: that uh, I'm disgusted with the way some of our elected officials have acted and others have acted to incite violence and to use the threat of violence to bring about what they said the only decision that could be made for justice. And Maxine Waters is one of those. This is the councilwoman from California. She said, I hope, she flew out there, said, I hope we get a verdict that says guilty, guilty, guilty. And if we don't, we've got to stay on the street. We've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. I mean, that's, that's wicked. That is wicked for, an elect, for anyone to do that because what you're saying is we don't care about the facts. We don't care about the process. All we care about is our narrative and the conclusion that we think will serve the purposes that we have de determined to be best. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, uh, she defended her. She said, oh, no, no, Maxine was talking about confrontation in the matter of civil rights movement. Well, I love what Alan Dershowitz said, you know, the attorney. He said, no, uh, that rant had more in common with the way the KKK operated in the early and mid 20th century than it does with any kind of uh, connection to the civil rights movement because the KKK would show up to courthouses in order to guarantee the outcome that they thought would fit was right or what they would call just based on their narrative. Well, there's no doubt that's exactly why the mob was outside the courthouse. They weren't there for justice. They were there for a conclusion that was foregone. They had determined if anything less than this happens, then we are going to just burn it down. And I mean, they said as much. So if you're a juror who wasn't sequestered, by the way, which, you know, in my mind, I think that wasn't wise. So you have access to all this information 24-7 coming at you. And uh, even one alternate juror has given testimony of how afraid she was, you know, that, that the city would burn if they didn't find him guilty on all counts. And so it was just like, yes, we had to do this. Um, and if you're a city official who's thinking about, I, my job is to protect the city, to represent the citizens here, and we've got a mob and they're going to destroy if uh, we don't do something. Well, then you got to take that into consideration. I don't fault them for that. Uh, it's a horrible thing. We were talking earlier about this. It's like, you know, you're, you're 50 miles downstream from the source of the problem. And you can't act like you're at the source of the problem and can, can begin to deal with it because you're not. You're way downstream. And the problem comes from this source. And if you don't recognize the source, then you're only going to be purely pragmatic and you're just going to do what you think will work for the moment or get you out of hot water. But if you understand the source, you can't just go back and say, okay, we're going to operate as if we're not 50 
miles downstream. No, you got to live in a real world, and this real world's broken. It's it's uh, not the way it's supposed to be in terms of how God designed the world to be originally. And so, how do we? And I would say Christians. How do Christians think about this? And how do we help those that are in the difficult position of having to make decisions about these things? And we ought to help them to to be practical, but to to have a a practical decision based upon real principles that yes in different circumstances we would do more than this but given our limitations right now because we're so far downstream we've got to make the best of this difficult situation so both of those things factor in and i think good people might disagree on exactly what that looks like in terms of the dollar amount in terms of how you settle what you say when you settle but nevertheless there are realities that have to be taken into consideration and the principles that undergird all of life that come from God that show us what's right, what's wrong need to be operating. Even as we recognize we can't serve those principles in an ideal way, given the circumstances we're in. Yeah. If you're that city leadership and you're looking at what has happened in your city and then you're considering what would happen in your city, um, taking account of that and saying, I'm here to protect the citizens of this, of this land. Um, it's tough to look and go, that really is the situation. And certainly those um, realities, as Mm -hmm. you have said, are playing a part as decisions are being made. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so the more sin you have, right, the more rebellion against God, the, the loss of the fear of God in that particular city, you can watch how things get sideways mm-hmm. and how um, now decisions have to be made and leadership has to be done that is that is crooked and bent, that is not ideal, um, where people are saying, well, we're going to have to deal with the practical situation here and it's becoming harder for this city to exist which really requires um, pastors yeah this is why we need an institute of public theology absolutely because pastors need to stand up and say because of the corruption in our city because of buildings burning we're watching decisions being made that are crooked that are not what they ought to be and Yes, we need to speak the truth to those who are in uh, leadership in the city. And then we need to acknowledge our own sin. That's mm-hmm. just pervasive here. And we need to repent of that. And we need to go back and do and consider what God's word would say on the matter. You know, and very practically with this, this case, again, with Chauvin, again, I'm not um, the jury or the judge, but looking at it from a distance, it seems to be more of a manslaughter kind of thing than a biblically speaking, murder kind of thing. Now, I know you have second degree and third degree, and even in the Minnesota statute, it seems to be that second degree murder is almost defined as biblically as manslaughter mm-hmm. if it's without intent. Um, and there's nuances of law that are that are intriguing and worth looking into. But the, the biblical principle is very interesting. You have the manslayer who would go away and you would think, well, if, if somebody's a murderer, if somebody intended to murder someone, well, if we're in city leadership somewhere, then we can't send that man away. I mean, he's a, he's a convicted murderer with the intent to murder. And I'm not loving my neighbor and the fellow in the other city or the other county or whatever if I send one there. If it is a man who was negligent, if it is a man who was irresponsible, if it is a man who even used excessive force, but we haven't, we haven't convicted this man of intending to murder someone. Again, you have to deal with the specifics of the Chauvin case. I'm just showing the, the biblical wisdom here to have him go somewhere else. I, I could 
see a man, I would be okay as a citizen of a particular city of a man coming uh, that was that was not a man who intended to murder, but was a man who was irresponsible. But if I'm in a city and I find that some other city is sending me someone that they convicted of intention to murder, well, then that, that's a huge problem. Well, mm-hmm. it's not something. So these distinctions between manslaughter and murder are really going to provide a foundation for how to think about things. Yeah, and, and it's difficult, and Christians have to think about them. I and mean, we can't just check out. That's the the... the reality we can say well man we can't come to any strong conclusion one way or the other well you've got to think about it and and more than that uh i don't i don't know that these kinds of things have yet had the impact on believers in this nation that they should have Uh, all of this all of this should be driving us to our knees to deal with god Um, i think about uh solzhenitsyn's templeton speech you know, when he said, uh, looking through the Bolshevik Revolution, he spent 50 years studying it in Russia. And why did these things happen? He says, because we forgot God. That's why all of this has happened. Why are we in the mess we're in right now? We've forgotten God. And, and not just the, the people out there in the nation. I'm talking about churches. I mean, we've forgotten God. We, we, we keep God uh, in our words, in, in our liturgies. But have we really dealt with the God who is? I, I know Second Corinthians seven fourteen gets abused all, all the time, and America is not a covenant nation. But you know that we ought to go back to that verse and think about it. Where God says, "If my people called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, heal their land." Well, if let's just just apply it to the church. You know, wh- where's the humility? Where's the repentance? Where's the desperate seeking of God to do what only God can do? Uh, we, we continue to put confidence in maybe our heritage as a nation. We put confidence in our ability to, to say what's right and what's wrong. We put confidence in uh, some kind of blind hope that maybe things will get better in the future. And what we need to be doing is just dealing with God and say, Lord, all of this has happened because we've forgotten you. Mm-hmm. Have mercy on us. And as Christians, we have every reason to do that. We have a crucified, risen Savior. I mean, Jesus Christ conquered sin, death, and hell. And the God who is, the God who has spoken, who has told us how he deals with nations, given us illustrations in Old Testament and even, though not as specifically, in what happened in the uh, Roman nation with the birth of Christianity. Uh, this is the God with whom we have to do. And it doesn't ultimately matter about Supreme Court judges or presidents of the United States or senators or congressional leaders if we are not dealing with God. And the only people who can do that are the people who know God, the Mm -hmm. people who have his word, the people who have his spirit. So one of the most significant things, the most significant thing that the church of Jesus Christ can do is just to fall on our face and say, Lord, we have sinned and we need what only your spirit can do. Come and revive us. Yes. And watch what's happening civilly we certainly have forgotten god and in forgetting god it's not as if you operate without a god so you forget god and then you replace them with another god and we can watch the religious nature of what's happened with uh, the tragedy of george George floyd's death and uh, derek chauvin's case we're watching people um, that are going out and publicly trying to seek for a kind of justice that is not justice, not biblical justice. 
um, that are seeking for penalties that would not be biblical penalties, uh, but would be uh, some other kind of penalties that spring up from another you know, sense. Uh, vengeance that is not divine vengeance rightly applied, but some other kind mm-hmm. of vengeance. Standards that are not biblical standards, but some other kind of standards. Um, and this sense of peace, you know, that that is not a biblical peace coming right. to us through the blood of Christ, but some other form of peace that's coming through to us through another form of atonement. And that is striking for Christians to notice. If, if you notice that you, you need Christ exalted in your own mind and heart, in your church, and in the land, and if he's not, then another God will be exalted and all sorts of troubling mm-hmm. consequences are going to come downstream from that, which can help us to really cry out to God and say, God, we do desperately need you to yeah. cause the, the minds and hearts of your people, first and foremost, not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but transformed by the renewal of our minds. And then we need you desperately to save sinners who don't mm-hmm. know their right hand from their left. They don't. And so it's like a Jonah goes to Nineveh situation, except if you're an American citizen, you're right smack <laughs> in the middle of it yeah. and saying, God, please have mercy on this land. Help people to think um, biblically, help them to fear you because there's no other way that they're going to operate in yeah. these particular situations as God would have. Them. Amen. Amen. So what's the most important thing that a Christian can do? Well, uh, there are a lot of things we ought to be doing, but nothing more important than just getting on our knees and confessing to God that we're in a mess, that we need help. Go to church. Uh, if you're a Christian and you've just been negligent about church, find a decent church, a healthy church, and build your life around it. Become a member. Submit to Christ in a local church and join with other believers and unite together in prayer. What should churches do? We should be crying out to God. We should be pleading with God to help us as we seek to live righteously in this perverse, wicked generation. We should be crying out to him that he would do what only he can do. And let's not settle for superficial healing. Let's not settle and and think that, oh man, everything looks good now because the verdict was the one that my narrative said uh, we wanted to have happen. No, let's ask God to come and heal this land. Ask God to come and revive his church in the midst of these years. He's done it in the past. History's full of wonderful stories of how God showed up and poured out his spirit in days of great wickedness and he can do it again and we ought to be pleading with him that he would amen thanks so much for listening to the sword on the trial we hope that you have been encouraged by this podcast 